0: Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Turning to Him. I am with... Ann and Roger Pimentel, uh, they are longtime family friends, and I'm so excited that uh, they've agreed to join us today. Anne, Roger, thanks very much for being here. Happy to be here. Um, give us a give us just a quick rundown on how you two met.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty familiar story to a lot of people. We were in the same ward at BYU, and uh, that's actually the end of the story.
0: Okay. <laughs> very nice. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> very sweet. I like it. It's uh, when, when we're recording this right now, we're in the middle of a snowstorm, which makes me remember one of the first times that Ann and I spent time together. So Ann is my wife's very, very good friend, lifelong friend. And I think were we going shopping for a Christmas present for my wife and it was a snowstorm and I was driving feel free to jump in if I get this wrong and after driving for probably about 10 or 15 minutes Anne made it very clear that she was not impressed with my driving capability (laughs) and the uh, roads
2: were very slippery
0: yeah like you were going
2: very fast
0: (laughs) I was not getting the best friend vote of approval (laughs) at all in this (laughs) relationship like I had to dig out from that uh, little driving experience (laughs) I just
2: wanted you and Mary to have a long life together so
0: yes yes. was looking out for her (laughs) every time we get together I just think it's gonna be the last time that you let me hang out with together so thanks (laughs) time has
2: healed those wounds Zach
0: okay good good well I put out a request, uh, you know, on social media of just anybody who, you know, had a story that they felt would be a valuable to share of them turning to Christ and how that's changed their life, and uh, and responded. And so I just wanted to to get into that. Um, as we were talking back and forth, you both mentioned that kind of a major impact that that you've had recently in your life has to do with dealing with uh, anti-racism and kind of getting involved in this, I don't know what the right term is, this community, this movement. I mean, you know, hopefully the movement's going on for hundreds of years, but there's still lots of progress to be made, clearly. Right. Um, How did you, how did this get on your radar?
2: Um, So, in early 2020, before COVID, um, I participated in an online um, conference, like a 10-day conference sort of thing about compassion, um, it was put on by a woman named Valerie Kaur. Um, she's a uh, she's a member of the Sikh community and she's an activist, a lawyer, an author. She's fascinating. She's so great. And
0: what what is sorry? What is the Sikh community?
2: Some people call it Sikh, the Sikh religion, but got she it, got it. she pronounces it Sikh. So,
0: OK, thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, And so this was, you know, like a 10-day thing, learning about compassion, empathy, just focused on that. And it was, you know, COVID was kind of starting in China, like we were starting to hear cases in the U.S., but it wasn't big here yet. Um, But it was really impactful to me to hear her speak about um, the importance of having compassion for people um and she came out with a book um shortly after, I think it, I I got it in April, um, and it's called See No Stranger. Um and in this book she talks a lot about um some of the teachings from the gurus, gurus <laughs> that um teach in that um religion. And I I won't say it, I mean she has it in, in that language, um, but the idea is, and what she was always taught is that you should look at somebody, um, that as, as not a stranger, that they're a brother or a sister to you and that, um, they're a part of you that you don't yet know. And so this idea of approaching people with wonder and, um, curiosity about their story and their life circumstances or, you know, whatever has brought them to, be who they are and how they are um really spoke to me and it was um really moving for me and then we know you know covid at that point was happening and then george floyd happened in um may the murder of george floyd and um so i was really moved to um figure out anti racism you know i i was unaware of the I mean, I knew of hardships that people had, but I thought it was I thought a lot of the racist things were the overt things, the things that we learned about in school, like, you know, just the things from the civil rights movements or from the, the time of
1: slavery. The lynchings and r- racial slurs and these things.
2: Yeah, but it's mm. so much more than just that. And there's so many more small things and things that as white people were not necessarily aware of. Um, that affect people of color. And so um I I really dove in headfirst to that sort of stuff and started reading a lot of books and trying to educate myself more on that topic. So that's how I got into it. Okay. And he <laughs> came along with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a it was a really meaningful thing uh to learn and realize that um, you know, we tend to think, oh, if I'm if I'm not, you know, actively lynching somebody, then, uh, then I'm probably okay on, on the whole race thing. Uh, But to learn and realize that um, being passive means being complicit with the structural and and societal racism that, that has been going on for hundreds of years. Um, And, and the, the, that term specifically anti-racism, specifically being anti-racist is, is the only way to, to not be racist, is to actively be fighting against it.
0: Hmm. I think, Um. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like, uh, well, I'll say something that I felt that I think we probably have in common is, you know, a, a, a while ago, this kind of uh, anti-racism is starting to come to the surface. And I'm looking around thinking, look, we don't have separate bathrooms. We don't have separate restaurants. we right. I don't know what you're talking about. This isn't, I mean, maybe like in some small places in, you know, backwoods America, maybe, but like, that's not a thing anymore. Right. And it's coming up in general conference a lot. We're seeing a lot of church leaders bringing this up and just saying that, that there's no place for this. And, and of course, not just in the U S but worldwide, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, and I, I think it's interesting and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. It seems like, in the US, we have our flavor of racism, but lots of places worldwide struggle with their own flavor of racism. Um, and, it, and it's not always Caucasian against uh, African-American or against black or, or African-American people, but it seems like it's not uncommon for one race to be racist against another race. Well, tell yeah. me what about that.
2: There's definitely parts of that. I think what's important as you discuss racism is to realize that, you know, there is typically a race that is in power or has most of the power or most of the privilege that is given to them just by nature of, you know, being in charge in the country. Um, and, and then there will be people that are marginalized because of that, because they don't fit into that. And so, um, You know, a lot of people talk about reverse racism that, you know, it can happen both ways, but but they marginalized people don't have power. So they can have prejudice. They can have, um, you know, antagonism or something toward another race. But they but the racism is directed one way, if that makes sense, Mm. Um, because it has so much to do with power and privilege. So so there is. In our country, I'd say there's a distinction that white people have been in charge for hundreds of years, you know, since the beginning. And so. Um, so it is directed one way, but that doesn't mean that there's not prejudice or anger between the races in our in our country, Um I don't know, you know, I don't live in any other country so it's hard to speak of but I do know, you know, from experiences of visiting other countries or where I served my mission there's always you know a looking down on people that look different than you or um, act different differently than you do um there's there's colorism plays a big part into that where depending on the color of your skin or the darkness of your skin you're treated a different way um I know that's something in that happens in other countries a lot and ours, but yeah.
0: Okay. So you've started to get involved with this. Um, It's something that has struck a chord with you. You feel like this is a way that you can make a positive impact in the world. Um, Talk to me about, and, and as we were talking before, you mentioned that As you began to study this, and both of you mentioned this, as you began to get more involved with this, you felt like not only this was bringing you closer to Christ, but a deeper understanding of the two great commandments. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that.
2: So um, in fall of 2020, I did another conference um, that was um, focused on helping sisters of color in the church feel um, welcome, feel that they belong um, and so to put it into a church perspective, I had I had kind of had the secular learning since George Floyd's murder until the fall. I had been, you know, deep in the secular part and reading academic books about racism and anti-racism. Um, but then this conference was brought it home to the church um, and the problems that still happen in the church and the microaggressions that that. Um, some members unknowingly do, um, to members of color and, um, and, and we talked a lot about, um, how we often want to feel comfortable. There's that quote from Elder Holland, um, that says, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, but it says something about, um, Christianity isn't comfortable, um, or, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm gonna mess this up if you know this quote, jump in, but it says something about how we shouldn't need to feel comfortable all the time because Christianity isn't comfortable if we're if we're just comfortable with it, then we're not working. We're not trying to um improve ourselves. we're just kind of complacent in Christianity. does that did you find it?
0: <laughs> Christianity is comforting, but often it is not comfortable that's it okay and that was uh, elder holland looks like october of 2020
2: okay Perfect. yeah so um so yeah so bringing it to church and um and understanding that christ when he was alive he worked with marginalized people that's where he spent his time that's who he um stood up for it's who he taught it's who he wanted to help out and he kind of Um, I mean, he, he ruffled the feathers of the like staunch religious people, you know? And so that's, um, being more like Christ and focusing on helping marginalized people, um, helped me turn to, to put my focus to those people in our church That's any type of marginalized person, a person of color, LGBTQ community, women in the church. I mean, there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of marginalized communities that are members of our church. It it did really open my eyes and it, it made me think even more like, how can we take this down to its very smallest level of understanding, which is the two great commandments? love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you understand those two commandments, anti-racism should just fall right into place. The practices that we learn in anti-racism should just be natural to you. If you're following those commandments.
1: You know, I think we have a tendency to look for uh, a single verse of scripture that's going to make a point. Uh, But when you read the new Testament, um with this lens of marginalized uh people through through that lens um you you see this this huge theme from beginning to end through the life of Jesus Christ um, and there's several different marginalized groups that he ends up spending time with and they're all they're labeled uh you know and a major one is is the samaritans and so you know he he tells the the parable of the good samaritan where the samaritan is the hero and you know at the time the the Jews and the and the samaritans hated each other um you know this was uh there's kind of a north south thing going on this was this was pretty straight up straight up racism uh at the time you could call it um you know I'll, I'll leave it to the scholars and the historians to say that in a better way than i do but um you know if if you think about that uh that parable and if you kind of replace some modern day things in there and you think maybe it was a bishop that passed by and didn't help the injured man and a state president that passed by but it's now fill in you know, kind of whatever makes you uncomfortable uh, in that case. It's that person that that helped it. Uh, Jesus taught the the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, but another really interesting marginalized group is is mentioned so many times. And it's it's who the scribes and the Pharisees called sinners. And it's it's just this this group. And, and Jesus clearly had a, a lot of things to say uh, about the religious zealots and about the hip, hypocrisy uh, of that. And he went not ate with this, the sinners, uh, you know, and and these folks who were marginalized out of society um, because of, you know, whatever reasons it was. And this is this is who he spent his time with. And so you get this theme. Right. And, and another one might be when uh, he's healing lepers and he's act, he's he's touching lepers. You know, could there be a more marginalized group than 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 the lepers? Um And so you see this start to finish uh, through the through the Gospels, through through the life of Jesus Christ. This is what he did when he was he was on the earth. And it's it's so funny because you talk about the two great commandments and somebody literally said, hey, will you prioritize the commandments for us? Will you just tell us what's most important? And he did. (laughs) And it's love God and love your neighbor. And, you know, and then yes, who is my neighbor? And, you know, we extrapolate that to mean, well, yeah, it's it's everybody. And and including and and maybe even especially those marginalized groups. And so it's not that anti-racism is. Even a part of the gospel, like it is it is core to the gospel. When when somebody asked Jesus Christ to prioritize the commandments, he said. You know, loving everybody. That's right up there with loving God. That's one of the top two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, I I spoke in church just yesterday and quoted that scripture. Ah, very good. <laughs> yeah. <Well> there, <laughs> everything else hangs on those two commandments. Yep. Yeah. Everything else hangs. Um you know, and, and I think you brought up a good point too. If if we really understood and applied that in a way, everything, I feel like all the principles of the gospel would take care of themselves. Mm -hmm, We still get the ordinances, but all the principles would take care of themselves. Not to take it away from the topic that we're on, but I always thought, look, if we really loved each other, we wouldn't need a home teaching and visiting teaching program because that would just happen naturally. Right. And I feel like, and, and, um, you know beforehand we before the three of us spoke and and we thought look we definitely don't want to make this a political conversation or anything like that and and that is not my intent but i um boy maybe i was about to make it political because i just forgot what i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) but you know i just i wonder if if we loved each other truly loved each other how many of these problems would go away you know would we need yeah maybe you know how many of these problems would go away
2: well and i i do think um you know to to not make it too political but both parties at their core they do love people they want they yeah. want people to be improved they want to take care of their families they want but they approach it from different angles and so we really are working toward the same thing we just have different ideas of you know, what to prioritize or how to go about doing it. Um, And so I think what is really important in that case is actually something that Valerie teaches in her book um, to listen to people, to understand people's stories, understand where they're coming from, to wonder about them. If you can't even wonder about somebody, like, I wonder why they think that. Just that simple thought. I wonder why they are the way they are. That gives you enough um, curiosity about somebody to listen and hear their story and we don't listen so that we can convert them or change their mind but if we're really listening to understand them as a human being then it makes um, it makes it easier to have compassion for people it makes it easier to have patience for people um To give people grace, it it makes it easier to love them, as we've been commanded to do, if we just listen and understand them. We may not agree, and that's fine. The goal is not to have everybody agree on the same thing. They say in the scriptures that God wants us to be united. We want to have unity, but that isn't sameness. That doesn't mean we all have to be the exact same. God is a God of diversity. You can see it in nature. You can see it in people. You can see it everywhere. He's a God of diversity and he he in, enjoys that. You know, that makes him happy to have a diverse world. Um, but we have to be united in the way that we approach things or in, not the way necessarily, but in our goal, I guess.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um you know, oftentimes for my work, I'll go to a conference and there is a presenter on diversity training. And sometimes that I I feel like sometimes that just turns into a list of here are all the phrases that you shouldn't say. Right. And I think, okay, you know, that's that's valuable. Um, But it's got to be more than that or or it's got to be different than that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Does that stir up any thoughts in your mind, any comments on that?
1: Well, I, I think it's what you said just a few minutes ago is is if we were able to really have this love for everyone and for each other, um, that kind of training wouldn't be necessary. We would we'd already have a handle on things that we shouldn't say um, and that sort of thing. But that's the rub here is it's easy to talk about this second great commandment and say, hey, this is this is great. This is all we have to do. Just this one simple thing. We have to love everybody uh, when it's colossally hard. And it, and it's extremely hard to sometimes listen to people that we don't agree with and, and listen out of that curiosity and without trying to, to get a word in and, and try to change their mind and, and, and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, there's something, go back to Elder Holland. Uh, I don't know what year this was, but it was a, um, uh, mission president's seminar Elder Holland was talking to, and he's talking about that verse about, uh, you know, charity never faileth. Uh, he says, but our our charity, it does fail. And it fails all the time. Um, and that's just a, that's just the nature of being human. But that charity with a capital C, that charity that is the pure love of Christ coming from the Savior to us, that never fails. And so we'll always have that. And we'll have that grace to to kind of fall back on a little bit because we're never we're never going to really get there. You know, we're going to try to to love everyone and we're going to do the best we can and we're going to have some human failings along the way. It's it's a it's a simple commandment to talk about uh, and devastatingly difficult to put into action.
0: Please join us for part two of this interview.